Welcome to our 43rd episode of Two Tanks and a Cat. We're your host, I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. Well, Russell, we've got some shout-outs this time. Yeah, we do. I think the first thing I want to address is a lot of you had seen uh, Sophie video with Bruce Newsom, And Bruce is kind of a scholar. Well, I mean, he is a scholar. And during the interview, he made maybe some mis misspoke a couple of times and you know he's got tons of information in his head and it was rattling around he got attacked on social media oh wow if you don't know we kind of got attacked too on one of our youtube comments a guy named harry said hey what's your problem with hyundai cars at no point i mean i even distinctly saying i had one and it ran yeah, great yeah so and there Top selling vehicle in the United States. I mean, they, yeah. Yeah. You know, at no point where we were making fun. But people interpret what they want to. That's very true. And there are people out there that will attack you. So if you're starting to do your own like Twitch streams or your own podcast, remember, you're going to deal with negative people. Sure. You you take it with a grain of salt. Exactly. You know, do we get everything 100% correct? No. We and we'll not. never claim that we will. You know, but do I make you, do we make people yeah. crack a book and exactly. look it up? Like, exactly. You know, like our Tiger episode. We had people, you know, sending us facts and saying, this is wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we're, we'll, we'll fix it. I had to research it and found out that I had misspoken a couple times. And hey, it's great to have listeners out there that, Listen to us well enough to, to but, point some of this stuff out. I mean, I, I'm very glad we've got listeners like that. Absolutely. Remember, people, you are going to have what here in the United States we call haters. Oh, well, sure. These people are jealous that you're doing something. Yeah. They're going to look for things that you didn't say. Uh, they're going to tell different forms that, you know, you're silly or, you know, completely wrong or whatever they're going to say. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we're both... Law enforcement. Yeah. So we we've taken heat off that. Oh, we've we've you know, heard it and seen it all, folks. So <laughs> uh, some keyboard bully saying, nah, uh, "Yeah, I'll punch you in your nose." Yeah. You know what? I'm easy to find. <laughs> yeah, look for the car with the red and blue lights. <laughs> but we do have some positive things. Who's our friend up in Washington that, that did? The really good video about the Sherman. Oh, yeah. Well, Hector Medell. That's right. He's up there uh, at the Flying Heritage uh, Combat Armor Museum, and that's in Washington State, Washington right? State, United States, yes. He sent us a link, and we're going to try to put it on our Facebook yeah. so you guys can watch us. He's like, hey, you know, I, I'm doing this video. I want some of your feedback. All right, Hector, here's our feedback. Yeah. Awesome job. Oh, yeah. Extremely. I, I like it. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. So... Hector, there's there's your negative, you know, yeah. stuff. What can I do to improve? <laughs> uh, nothing. We, <laughs> and we apologize now if we send negative feedback your way too. Yeah, yeah. From some yeah. of our listeners. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If some of our haters start hating on Hector, <laughs> Hector, you're going to get that man. You Sorry. Do, you just go, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> well, God bless your little yeah. heart. Yep. 
And if you guys are not from the United States, when somebody looks at you and says, well, bless your little heart, <laughs> that's a nice way to say F you. <laughs> that's how a real gentleman, a Southern yeah. gentleman down here says F you. So we're like, bless your heart. Thank you so much. Who else do we have to give a shout out to? Yeah. Say hi to our listener down in New Zealand. Oh, the president of our uh, two tankers. Yes, in a, it is. Cat fan Always club. the chairman. Uh, of the two tankers and a cat New Zealand chapter. Yep. Tony Rouse. Tony, thanks, brother. This is a great guy. I mean, yeah. I, I, oh, he is. He supports us in so many ways and sent us some pretty cool stuff. Tony, we have your address. We're sending you stuff. Yeah. Uh, It'll be coming soon. Um, I know we got some stuff already in the mail yeah. now for our Patreon users. Yeah. So if you're a Patreon, Patreon user, yeah. you're <laughs> You're going to get something very, very cool yeah. soon, soon. Very neat. And if we don't have your address, please send yes, it to us. get us your address. You know, people are like, well, I'm a Patreon. You should send me something. Yeah. I'm like, we want to. You just tell us where you want I think there may be two or three out of our Patreons that we don't have the address for. That I might contact them through, through chat or something like that. Yeah. And and see if I can get it. And who else do we have to talk to? Talk about speaking of addresses, yeah, Alejandro or Alex. He got us his address here the other day. Good deal. One of our patrons for quite a while. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Okay, Russell, let's talk about our first point. There's not a lot of people that are gonna know about this tank. I know if you're a World of Tank players, they're going to go, oh, the Patriot tank yeah. or something like that. But the tank we're going to be talking about today on our first point is the T two six E five. Assault tank. And our second point, I, w- I want to save that till until we get there. Till we get there. Okay. Talking to which, I heard we have a famous listener. Famous listener? Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of got a little message. Something. Oh. You, you know Stephen King? Yeah. <laughs> heard that he listened like two or three episodes. Well, holy cow. So if Mr. King is well, listening, yeah. shout out. We've, we've wow. read, read all your stuff. We have, <laughs> we have movies for, you know, we have ideas for movies. If you ever want to get in touch Well, yeah. Heck yeah. That'd be a good retirement gig. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Sit there and do uh, tank movies. Yeah. All we got to mm. do is call Craig and say, hey, uh, yeah. you know, we need call old Craig Moore and say, hey, uh, we, we need the Tiger 131. He's like, oh yeah, let me just send that right to you. <laughs> okay, Russell, let's get started. Tell us a little bit about, about the T26E5. Yeah, the T26E5 was an assault tank based on the M26 Pershing heavy tank. It was developed from the same premise as the M4 A3E2 Sherman Jumbo assault tank and that of increasing the armor of current existing tank with a purpose to break through the enemy defense lines. The tank sported the same 90mm tank gun, the M3L-53 high-velocity cannon with heavily reinforced frontal armor. With the rapid increase of enemy high-performance anti-tank firepower on the battlefield during World War II, the American primary tank, the M4 Sherman, found itself in a difficult situation where it could not protect the mobilizing forces anymore. Its existing design could not be pushed further to emphasize armor without hampering the other aspects of the tank, such as mobility. Therefore, a new role was formed to counter this threat, the assault tank, a vehicle with the purpose of breaking through highly concentrated enemy defenses and withstand enemy gunfire. Successful deployment of the M4A-3 E-2, in late 1944, had garnered interest in the U.S. Army to develop another type of assault tank. Now, 
the M4A3E2 is also called the Jumbo Sherman. Yes. And they F-armored everything on that, but it still was not what they were looking for. Yeah. While the M4A3E2 was considered satisfactory for its role, it did not provide nearly the same level of protection offered by its contemporaries, such as the German Tiger II. Fortunately, the heavy frontal armor arrangements of the M4A3E2 suggested the possibility of improving the armor for the latest heavy tank under production, the T26E3 Pershing. The earliest draft was recommended by the Ordnance Committee of the Ordnance Corps to increase the effective frontal armor of the Pershing by 203.2 millimeters. You know, we were talking about the Aberdeen Proving Grounds earlier, and uh, I was like, you know, the Edgewood area, the Aberdeen Proving Grounds site, was proposed to the Environmental Protection Agency's National Priorities List of the most serious uncontrolled and abandoned hazardous waste sites requiring long-term remedial action on uh, April 10th of 1985, the year I graduated high school. The EPA got involved in it. The site was formally added to the National Priorities List. I think it was February... 21st, 1990, the Edgewood area has large areas of land and water and numerous buildings that are contaminated or suspected of contamination. Virtually all the land areas of the site contained uh, contaminants or potentially contaminated sites and potentially buried ordnance. Substances disposed in the area include significant quantities of napalm, white phosphorus, and chemical agents. On site, surface waters include rivers, streams, wetlands, uh, the Edgewood area standby uh, water supply, wells in the Canal Creek area previously served approximately about 3,000 people. The wells have been abandoned, you know, so they, you know, all this testing and stuff that they did, they didn't know about a lot of the damage they were doing to the environment. Let's get back to the tank. A rough estimation indicated that these changes would increase the vehicle weight to about 48 tons, or about 2.4 tons heavier than the Pershing. The chief of engineers pointed out that the gross weight and width of the assault tank would place it under the classification of exceptional vehicle. The only military bridging available which would safely carry it was the floating bridge M4. With the bridge width of 12 feet, or 3.75 meters wide, it could merely afford a clearance for the tank when not equipped with extended end connectors. Regardless, the tank was approved on April 19, 1945, and the production number for the T-26E5 had been increased to 27 tanks. So like we said in the past, it was too much to transport, so production must have stopped. Nope. (laughs) They ordered 27 more. Yeah. So they had this tank. And they're like, we can't get it on the bridges in Europe. The stone bridges, we, we can't basically send it over there. Some of the docks over there can't handle it. And the only bridge is the bridge that we're bringing with us. And it can barely do it. So that's probably a good point to stop. But not America. We're nope. like, nope. all right. So we can't use it over there. Let's build 27 <laughs> more. Seriously, why does the military not listen sometimes? I don't know. Too heavy, won't work, can't transport it, can't go over bridges. Great. <laughs> Order 27 more. Wow. Uh, Go on, Russell. As of April 10th, marked prints covering the alterations to the front hole casting, turret, gun mantlet, driver's door, and the equilibrator spring had been completed. The casting drawings had been delivered to the Scullion Steel Company and the Continental Foundry and Machine Company for the production of 27 vehicles, which were to be built by the Chrysler Corporation. 
Production drawings for all other parts related to the vehicle were being made, and it was expected that the first tank would be completed by approximately June 15th of 1945. The first T-26E5 arrived at the Aberdeen Proving Ground in July of 1945. The final combat weight of the vehicle was measured at 46.40 tons. Again, slightly heavier than estimated. (laughs) Okay, let's make it heavier so our bridges can't do it. I know. All the remaining tanks had finished production by the end of World War II, and no additional units were ordered. Okay. Well, probably for a reason. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's heavier than we thought, and, and now we got 28 of them. Yeah. I'm sorry, Russell, go on. As an assault tank, the T-26E5 was heavily armored, far beyond any preceding assault tanks developed by the United States. With a maximum effective armor of 279.4 millimeters, it outclassed even the T-29 heavy tank, one of the latest U.S. heavy tanks, which was already in production three months before. Unlike the other T-26 variants, which had lower effective armor on the front hull, the T-26E5 was designed to project its maximum armor on the entire front, including the hull and the front turret that was covered by the mantlet. Preliminary study to incorporate the required effective armor into the tank construction was done by measurement using the standards of U.S. basis armor curve. Since most of the changes to protection were allocated to the front, the side and rear of the hull were left without any relevant changes at all. So they built a cool-looking tank that kind of looked like the Pershing, but we did an episode on the Pershing, and it had all sorts of problems. If you've got a tank that you've already put out in the field and is like, wow, there's a lot of problems with this tank. Let's build something heavier. Let's build it with the same engine. Uh, Yeah, I don't understand. They could have probably taken a few lessons from the Germans, though, to... Oh, we won't go into we that. Won't, we, won't go, we won't go there. I think every country has their oh, own they do. problems. And, it, and it's all development. I mean, they're testing and seeing what they can get away with and what they can't. And I mean, it's it's a testing bed. You know, and, you know, even my one, my favorite tank is, you know, one of the T-34s. Yeah. When they were kicking those out, there oh, was a yeah. wide, huge weld marks. They were just sure. throwing those together and yeah. putting them out the door. And they had what? I think it was what? 800 hours expectancy of life. Wow. Then uh-huh. like, okay. Yeah. Throw it away. Yeah. Throw it away. The armor structure was relatively similar to the M26 Pershing with cast and rolled armor forming up the hull. The main aspect of the T26 E5 armor came from thicker casting of the front hull coming up at 6 inches or 152.4 millimeters at 46 degrees on the upper slope, giving a substantial effective thickness of 11 inches or 279.4 millimeters. Now, the reason they're doing this armor stuff, a thickness of 6 angled at 45 was required to defeat the German 88. And makes sense. You yeah. know, everybody knows about that. That was one German of our 80. biggest problems. Yeah. Yeah. Not even the tanks, but they were using it for an anti tank gun. Sure. You know, and to bounce this uh, cannon at a point blank distance, the front hull construction of the T 26 E5 was based on this information. So they got six inches and they yeah. did it at a 45 degree angle. Great. But you've already, you're trying to base it on the Pershing. And it's not a very good tank. Exactly. The turret was cast all around 
and received a sizable overhaul to its protection with 7.5 inches at 10 degrees on the front turret, giving an effective armor of 8 inches and 11 inches of effective armor on the mantlet. The sides had varying degrees of thickness due to casting from 7.8 inches on the front, which was actually thicker than the front turret face, and tapering down to 3.5 inches on the rear. The rear section of the turret was thickened to 5 inches to balance the weight of the heavily armored mantlet at the front of the turret. The mantlet shape was improved by trimming a chunk of its lower portion in an attempt to form a straight surface instead of rounded. This offered three advantages. It helped prevent shot trap that was noted to be a serious compromise in the previous design since the T26E1, allowing the driver's hatches to open since the mantlet became thicker externally and permitting enough space for the gun mount to to traverse vertically without bumping into the driver's hat. You know, and this is the point I'm trying to make. They have really intelligent people. They're like, okay, this is the angle, this is the inches, this is what we've been facing, this is what's killing our tanks, this is how we can defeat it. You know, if you have a bad design, scrap it. Exactly. You build around that armor. You know, in my personal opinion, get an engine that's going to be able to push it down there Quickly, you know, keep yeah. its mobility. I think they were missing the point. Okay, Russell, what kind of main gun did this thing have? The T26E5 still used the same weapons as the M26 Pershing with no notable differences. The main gun was the 90mm M3 L-53 cannon holding 70 rounds of 90mm ammunition. That ammunition consisted of high-explosive, armor-piercing, ballistic-capped, high-velocity armor-piercing, and white phosphorus-slash-smoke. The secondary weapon would be a coaxial 30 caliber machine gun on the left side of the cannon. Additional machine guns included a ball-mounted 30 caliber for the bow gunner and a 50 caliber heavy machine gun in a flexible anti-air mount on top of the turret. Okay, so they know the 90 is a great gun, killing what it's shooting at at that time. And they're like, okay, and we got to give it some machine guns to defend itself from infantry. And they knew through the Sherman that putting a 50 cal on top was fairly decent, you know, anti-aircraft defense. Although using the same 90 millimeter gun mount type as the Pershing, it was modified with a significantly thicker mantlet and increased capacity gathered from experience with the T6 E4 Super Pershing to maintain balance of the whole platform with the increased weight of the front of the turret. Despite projecting such a large mantlet, the gun mount was still able to elevate to 20 degrees and depress minus 10 degrees. The turret rotation speed was reduced to 18 degrees a second since the turret became heavier. The 90mm cannon of the T26E5 used a variable power telescope. This new power telescope was capable of veritable magnification from four times power up to eight times power, and had better resolution and optical quality than any previous telescopes. The telescope mount on the mantlet was given a cylindrical cover since the telescope would extend up to 3.8 centimeters when magnified to eight times power. They've got the good gun. They've got the idea of the armor they need. They've got the machine guns and the anti-aircraft. they got a good scope. 
But again, but they were still using that Pershing sure. system. Uh, tell us more. The heavy tank was still powered by the same power pack as on the M26 Pershing, including the four GAF gasoline engine producing 500 horsepower, which was proven to be underpowered for the tank at just 45 tons. It should have been expected that the T26 E5 that weighed just over 50 tons would suffer even more from reduced performance, with abysmal power-to-weight ratio giving an output of only 10.7 horsepower per ton. They knew that Pershing engine sucked, and they thought, hey, let's put put it in the even heavier tank. Incredible, really. It, I mean, you know, the, yeah. the, the, even the tankers that are driving this, and they said, we've got to have something that's a better motor that's going to give it some oomph. Oh, no, it's fine. Wow. So, Russell, what kind of crew did this thing have? The T-26 E5 was operated by a five-man crew. The commander, gunner, and loader were stationed inside the turret while the driver and bow gunner settled down on the front hole. In the turret compartment, the commander was located on the right side of the turret and had access to the cupola with six vision blocks and a rotating periscope for all directional observation while inside the tank. Behind him... The radio set was installed inside the turret vessel. The gunner was right in front of the commander, armed with the 90mm cannon and a 30 caliber coaxial machine gun at his disposal. The loader sat on the left side of the turret and had a ready rack of 10 90mm rounds beside him. The remaining ammunition was stored on the whole floor in an armored rack, which could still be accessed through the turret basket. The loader also had access to a pistol port, an escape hatch, and a rotating periscope. So this is stuff that they learned from the Sherman. You know, give them a pistol port, give them, you know, a way to get out quick. They're using yeah. the wrong tank. Yeah, they're using the wrong chassis to yeah. to put and, all this on. And definitely the wrong mo- motor. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. And it may have been cost too. I mean, it probably costs them a lot less to put something like this on a chassis that you've already got. Oh, I... But, but still... If you're going to drop $20 million and you know it's going to fail, yeah. save $20 million. Both the driver and bow gunner, and the bow gunner was also an assistant driver, steered the tank with a pair of levers to their left and right, respectively. The instrument panel was located in the middle. On the top of it, there was a blower to circulate air into the hole compartment. The bow gunner was armed with a ball-mounted thirty caliber machine gun, with no sighting device, so he had to aim the gun through his periscope and lead the firing direction by watching the tracer bullets. But again, yeah. that was a standard operating sure. procedure. Yeah, at the you time. You know, having that visor is a dangerous weak spot. Yeah. So instead of having the weak spot, it, they all armored it, and, and they, the periscope was working fine. Yeah. And believe me, when you're firing the tracers, Oh yeah, yeah. You can see where you <laughs> can see where your you can see where bullets are going. They also had two CO two fire extinguishers that were provided between their seats. The auxiliary periscopes had been eliminated from the N twenty six Pershing, leaving only rotatable periscopes on the hatches. I don't have a problem with that. I guess no longer needed for combat in World War Two, the T two six E five was utilized for automotive and protection trials by the service board to study the effect of the increased weight while running the same power pack and suspension as the M26. The T26E5, the tests were resulted in numerous, numerous malfunctions occurring, such as the left and, hand, uh, left and right hand final drive lock washers failed, if I remember right. The front right road wheel hub was bent and damaged. Torsion bar broke. 
at the right front of the hull. The engine was overheated to oil and uh, dirt blocking the radiator. The front spring arm shackles were bent and bearings damaged. Complete power failure caused by the shearing of the torque converter rotate. Rotor belts, uh, second torsion bar broke at the left front of the hull. The speed band and the transmission broke at the point of connection that does link in the adjustment end. They finish this tank. It's just a lot of stuff that broke due to it being weighing too much. Yeah, weighing too much. Yeah. They're trying to use the same parts, you know, which which is great. It worked yeah. great for the Sherman. Sure. But you can't add, you know, a 5010 tank to stuff that was ready for, you know, yeah. something way less. Exactly. As the engineering trials proved to be a failure due to the design flaws surrounding its excessive weight and inability to overcome them, it was decided that the T26E5 would be useful with its heavy armor as a practice target. The target vehicle would be loaded with inert ammunition and wooden crew in each of their positions inside the tank and a running engine. The vehicle would then be shot by live anti-tank munition to determine the weapon's performance against the heavy armor of the T26E5. All the 27 tanks were either lost to gunfire test or scrapped, and none survived. Wow, Russell. Ah, it's incredible. We covered all, all the specs of the tank, so we don't have to cover, you know, the stats. And, and here it goes. Another typical tank loss to history because no one had the foresight just to put one away for history. We build 28 of these exactly. things. Exactly. And spent tons of money on it, tons of time. And they're like... Okay, well, I guess we're not going to use it. Yeah. Use it. Let's go ahead and sh- yeah. grab bazookas and shoot at. It. I'm like, what? Typical government waste. And it's just not our government. I, uh, I know there's government uh, waste yeah. everywhere. You know, uh, I'm sure some of our friends yeah. in you know New Zealand or Australia or let's go ahead and start moseying towards our second point. And uh, it, it's kind of funny because, like I said earlier, I got a hint that Stephen King. The author was actually listened to us. What we're going to talk about is a tank battalion that got deployed in, I think it's Kentucky, and to stop riots. These riots were caused by a serial killer that happened to be African American. And if you remember in the movie Green Mile and stuff like that, yeah, um, he was accused of killing two little girls. I'm like, I wonder if he researched the tanks and stuff and. and Maybe got a clue of what, come up with this yeah. idea. I know everybody's interested. We're going to talk about this. And again, we are not trying to offend anybody. We're going to stick to the facts. And this is what happened. And if you got a problem with it, please message us. Uh, we'll make corrections or anything like that. But again, I'm stating we don't want to offend anybody. The Harrodsburg Tankers, then known as the 38th Tank Company, were a Kentucky Army National Guard unit stationed in Harrodsburg, Kentucky who were called to active duty prior to World War II. When they entered federal active duty, they were redesignated as Company D, 192nd Light Tank Battalion. On Thanksgiving Day, November 20, 1941, they landed in the Philippines. On December 7, 1941, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, and only hours later, they began an attack on the Philippines. The Harrodsburg Tankers along with the Allied forces, fought the Japanese valiantly without reinforcements or resupply until ordered to surrender in April 1942. Those who could not escape to Corregidor were in the infamous Bataan Death March. They were all eventually taken prisoner of war. Only 37 of the original 66 Kentucky 
guard members from Harrodsburg survived Japanese captivity. Again, if you haven't studied the death march of Bataan, oh, yeah. you should. It, it's incredible. It, it, it's yeah. It's heartbreaking. And, and again, we're not trying to stir up old, old no, hatreds or anything. You look at it through the eyes of history. Before World War II, the 38th Tank Company was called on for active field service at various times during that period, notably at Lexington, Kentucky, during a riot in February of 1920, in which six persons were killed and 20 were injured. When you think of the 1920s and you think of, you know, Kentucky, you're like, a riot? You know, in, in the heartland, basically, you know, in the center of the United States. What all brought this riot around? It was a guy named Petri Kimbo, born in 1986 and died March 11th in 1920, uh, better known by his alias, Will Lockett. He was an African-American serial killer who had killed three women and one girl between 1912 and 1920 in three states, also attempting to kill a woman in native Kentucky. He was executed for killing a 10-year-old girl named Geneva Hardman, whom he'd killed by crushing her head with a stone. Shortly after, he was sent to the Kentucky State Penitentiary, and on February 9th, 1920, riots erupted in Lexington with lynch mobs trying to kill Kimbo, but they were prevented by the National Guard troop, who ultimately fired into the crowd. You know, six men and killed and 20 wounded, like you were saying. Uh, a soldier and two policemen on the other side were also seriously wounded. You're talking about 1920s, and there was a huge racial diversion, you know, that part of the America. Well, all of America. And him being an African-American in that point in Kentucky, yeah, yeah. in that time... You know, they wanted to lynch him. And if you're not familiar with lynching, it means hanging. Oh, yeah. So they wanted to hang him, but he had already been convicted. Here's where the Green Mile thing comes up again. They uh, electrocuted him, and uh, he he was executed, and that kind of stopped all the rioting and stuff like that. Wow. But until this, they pulled out this tank, yeah. but, uh, National Guard tankers that we were talking about, yeah. and they were forced to fire at him. Man. You know, they're like, hey, disperse. And they're Incredible. like, no. Incredible, yeah. We're, we're, we're going to go get him. So they opened up. Man. We're not debating if it was right or wrong. We're just saying this is history. You know, I think this was a great episode. I learned a lot. Oh, yeah, I did too. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed it. We got off on uh, serial killers. Yeah. And, a little bit of everything. And Philippines. Heck and, yeah. And how government wastes tons of money <laughs> and then turns it into target practice. Target practice tanks. Uh, well, we hope you uh, enjoyed the episode. But, Russ, we got some Patreon stuff. Why don't we uh, talk about that? Yeah, we still got some support um, through our Patreon program if you haven't looked at it make sure you get over to our patreon site you can find us on patreon do a search through patreon and the two tankers and a cat podcast and come up with our page there our supporters still include alejandro or alex martinez at the eight dollar a month level uh, bjorn ben He's still supporting us at the $8 a month level. Still got Kevin Chin, ODS Thero, and Rick Smith. <laughs> got to love Rick oh, Smith. Oh, I know. And Rick, get us your address, because I know you're one of them that <laughs> hasn't got us his address yeah, yet. To, exactly. And we'll get that item sent out to you for being an awesome patron. Remember, we do need the support. If you've thought about supporting us, uh, if you're a famous author and you want to support us, <laughs> but believe me, we, we, we need, we figured out we need new Skype uh, software oh, yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Just uh, to let you all know, we are back in the studio recording this episode. So hopefully everything's 
Yeah, you don't have the echo and the yeah, feedback. We had some issues with the last one, so. But we had to do our part. Yeah, yeah. You know, for the whole, you know. I just hope all the craziness kind of dies down and goes away. So. Yeah, and, and I hope we don't have a pandemic like this again. Yeah, I know. You know, I know that's wishful thinking. Yeah, I know I've never lived through anything like this. Uh, and never, hopefully never, never have to again. So. You know, they were talking back in the, what, the 1900s? Yeah, early with the 1900s. Spanish, yeah. Spanish flu and yeah. everything when they came back from World War One. Well, I guess that brings the episode to a close. So uh, this is Charlie. And this is Russell. As always, happy tanking and have a great week. It's not seek conflict or confrontation, but we will never run from it. History is filled with discarded regimes that have foolishly tested America's resolve. Anyone who doubts the strength or determination of the United States should look to our past and you will doubt it no longer.